Grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Our text for our sermon is Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. After these things I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing in front of the throne of the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands. They called out with a loud voice and said, Salvation comes from our God, who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the elders spoke to me and said, These people dressed in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? And I answered him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who are coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Because of this they are in front of the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. They will never be hungry or thirsty ever again. The sun will never beat upon them, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of our Lord. It is Good Shepherd Sunday, and on Good Shepherd Sunday, we think of Psalm 23. The Lord is our shepherd. What more do we need? He leads us beside quiet waters, and he restores our soul, and he even sets up a table for us in the presence of our enemies. But what happens when those enemies, those wolves, are biting at us while we're at the table before our Lord? Such had happened in the early days of the Christian church when the Sanhedrin was persecuting Christians, using men like Saul, who would later be known as the Apostle Paul, or later when the Roman government took over. John is 90 years old, and he has outlived all the other apostles who have all died rather than deny the Lord. At age 90, the Roman government finds John's proclamation of the good news of salvation in Christ to be just too dangerous for them. And John is exiled on the island of Patmos, 90 years old, living in exile. He can look out across the, the sea and see the lights of the city of Ephesus, but he cannot be with his brothers and sisters in Christ. It is during this time of exile that the Lord appears to John in the Revelation, which we know is a revelation of St. John. And that revelation actually is a muriel. God paints before his eyes the salvation history of the New Testament church. Today's sermon paints out for us that the Lamb is your eternal shepherd, even when it seems like the world is coming at us and those wolves are biting at us while we feast at his banquet. Now, to put our text in its context, we have to look at, at the fact that this is the sixth of seven seals that are opened by the Lamb, who is Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to get into the first seal here in just a minute, but the first four seals are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The second one is a red horse, which is war. The third one is a black horse, which represents famine. And the fourth horse is a pale horse. The actual Greek wording is kind of gross. It's mucus green. It's that picture when people have a sinus infection. It's mucus green, and that represents pestilence or plague. And the whole point of those first four horsemen of the apocalypse is that there will be wars, rumors of wars, famines and plagues going on right up until the time that Christ will return. Ah, 
But that first horse, the first seal, that's the white horse. White is righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. And, it's, and it becomes clear that that horse is not exactly Christ, but it's the word of Christ. And it goes out throughout the world. So right in the middle of wars and famines and plagues, the word of God continues conquering and spreading throughout the world. Then the fifth seal is opened. And that's the souls that are under the altar. These are the martyrs who are in heaven before the last day. These are the ones who, whether it be from zealous religions or from governments or sadly, for example, like in the Inquisition, wrong-minded Christians who have waged war against the, against the Christians who are holding on the word of God, we get to find out that they are before the throne of God. Now, this is comfort for us even outside of persecution because once again, it reminds us that when we die, our bodies may decay, but our souls are before the Lord. And then the sixth seal is open, and that sixth seal is three visions, and today's text is the third vision. The first vision is the fate of the unbelievers, especially those who persecuted the church. We know what the fate is. It's the opposite of heaven. The second vision is the gathering of the elect. It's symbolized as it goes through the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, 12 for the number of tribes, uh, 10 is the number of completion, so you take the 12 Old Testament tribes, the, the 12 apostles, you multiply them together for 144, and then for both cases, 10 is the number of completion. What it's saying is, everybody God predestined or elected to be saved will be saved. And then we get it today's picture, that, that picture of eternity for all believers where we see that the Lamb is your eternal shepherd. So let's get into our text. After these things I looked and pay very close attention, a great crowd which no one was able to count from all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues who have been standing in front of the throne and in front of the Lamb, who have dressed with white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they called out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who keeps on sitting on the throne and belongs to the Lamb. The wording of the inspired Greek here makes it very clear we're talking about possession. Salvation belongs to our God who keeps on sitting on the throne. That means he's ruling for your salvation to keep the salvation belongs to him and belongs to the lamb. The lamb is the savior. The lamb who was the shepherd took on human flesh, which would be became a lamb, if you will, to carry on all analogy, in order to purchase and win the various sheep into his flock and then took back on his shepherd's staff, his role as shepherd again. And there before the throne of God, he rules to keep us there. Salvation is 100% God's work. This is just another way, this, this mural that's being painted of saying Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, which tell us, not by works so that no one can boast. It's a gift of God. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So you can't do a good work unless you're saved. God has to create the new man in you. So here we see that salvation belongs to 100% God and the Lamb, the shepherd who became a lamb to purchase and win you. And then the, what precedes this is very comforting. Those white robes that they're dressed in, that's the white robe of the shepherd's righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. And do you notice where it comes from? We're told that it's too numerous to count. This reminds us of God's promise to Abraham because we, even if we're not Jewish by blood, we are Abraham's children by our faith. We're by adoption. And he had promised Abraham that his descendants would be too numerous to count. And here we're told that it's too numerous to count. And we're told it comes from all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. This is a comfort for us. Whether you speak English, Mandarin, Spanish, German, I could go on and on. Salvation's for you. 
Whether you're red, yellow, black or white, salvation's for you. Whether you're hyper-intelligent or whether you are functionally able to, to hear the Word of God, it's for you. It's for children. It's for adults. You get the picture. And ultimately, again, salvation belongs to God. It's 100% His work. And so we see the Lamb is your eternal shepherd. He purchased and won all the sheep into His flock. And specifically, therefore, this is His promise to you. He saved you. He purchased you to be in his flock. Our text continues, And all the angels had taken their stand around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces in front of the throne and they worshipped God. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, these four living creatures, that goes back to Revelation chapter 4. There's one with, a, with the face of a lion, a wild beast. There's one with the face of an ox, a domesticated beast. There's one with the face of a man, a human being. And there's one with the face of an eagle. And there's four of them. There's four points on the compass. He's talking about the four corners of the earth, even though we know the world isn't square. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, God had subjected all creation to decay when Adam and Eve fell into sin. But now we see all of creation... The creation itself having been restored to what God intended it to be is worshiping God. And how did they worship God? By saying the blessings or the praise and the glory and the wisdom and thanksgiving and the honor and the power and the strength belongs to our God forever and ever. Amen. The blessings or the praise. See, this is the problem. We get confused. We just mentioned that, that salvation belongs to God. The Lamb's the one who won it. The Father's the one who planned it. The Holy Spirit is the one who worked through the Word and sealed it and gave birth to your new person. And so if we want to brag about how much offering we give or how much time we spend in the Word or how deserving we think we are, we're wrong. We're dead wrong. That kind of thinking is what puts us squarely in the flames of hell. The praise for our salvation goes to God who did all the work to save us. And so we're told, and the glory... God's glory is His grace, and we glorify God because in His grace, He did the work to save us, and the wisdom. Now, as a former engineering student, I am a big fan of the scientific method. And I'm also a big fan of logic, the way we can use logic to deduce things and, and, and come up at pretty good conclusions. But brothers and sisters in Christ, God created the, the natural laws of science the, that, that govern this universe, but we forget that while that's what we see, His throne is behind it all. And God's wisdom is not the wisdom of man. Let me give you a couple of examples, the big one. If human beings were going to save a fallen creation, would they become a lamb? Would they let those wolves in sheep clothing tear into them in order to purchase and win and even make some of those wolves their lambs? Would they hang naked and be ridiculed or would they display worldly power and whammo, call on the angels to say, no, this ain't going to happen. See, your salvation defies the world's wisdom. It's not the way the world thinks. Another one. We're promised. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39 are the clearest, especially when we look at the original language, that when you're baptized, you receive the gift. And that gift is the Holy Spirit who gives us that new man, which is, and, and that new man is alive in Christ, connected to him. It's, it's what we call faith. So we pour some simple water. It comes right out of a tap. And we say, I baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a miracle. It defies the laws of science. And we don't see a lot of flash and bang, but God tells us it's there. Man's wisdom would change and say, oh, it's just a symbol of drowning our sinful nature. But then we're changing God's word and we lose the comfort. 
brothers and sisters in Christ, we take a dry wafer and we take a, a cup of wine and, and, and we get a sip of it and, and we think this is it. But when we say those words, this is my body, this is my blood that Christ said, then he actually is given a soul food. But, but the world's wisdom says, I don't see a miracle. It remains and tastes bread. But the verb that Jesus used isn't becomes, this becomes my body. And human beings, often they want to swap out that verb that he uses and make it this represents because that's good worldly logic. But what Jesus says has to be accepted by faith. This is my body. We get bread and wine and the way he says it, bread and wine and body and blood are there. And yet, when we do, what a wonderful comfort he gives to nourish us. Would the world turn around and say, I'm going to comfort you and feed your soul through a meal and through hearing my word? No. God's wisdom is above and beyond this world's wisdom. And so all the wisdom goes to God. And ultimately, brothers and sisters in Christ, if somebody were to walk up to you and write you out a check for a billion dollars, you would be thankful to that person. You would do more than just write a thank you card. But the shepherd has given you so much more. He's given you eternal life. He's connected you to himself. He sent his Holy Spirit into your heart. He's purchased and won you in his flock, which means you have eternal life, which means you have a glorified body that's going to be given to you. You get the new heavens and the new earth. How can we not help but to give thanksgiving? And one of the ways we give thanksgiving is by using the law now, not in order to earn salvation, but as our guide. The Ten Commandments tell us this is how you thank God. And the honor, this is in the power and the strength belong to God forever and ever. God gets all the honor in our salvation. We get the privilege. We might be able to be the one who gets to spread the word to somebody that God uses to put them in his flock. But if somebody says, I'm so grateful you came, we have to admit that was just a privilege God gave us. It's his word and we just he, he let us share in the honor, but the honor is truly God's. And the power and the strength belongs to our God forever and ever. And this is comforting. Again, the Roman government persecuting people, the Sanhedrin persecuting Christians prior to that. In the time of the Inquisition, Christians persecuting Christians, zealots of other religions whose God demands that you kill people that don't agree with what they teach, which is more along worldly wisdom. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, time and time again, it may seem like they're getting away with it, but they're not. The Roman government has toppled brothers and sisters in Christ, but... Christianity has not. That white horse continues conquering. And so we see, brothers and sisters in Christ, he purchased and won all the sheep into his flock, hence he saved you, that lamb who's your eternal shepherd. But all credit for all salvation belongs to him. And the greatest way we worship him is trusting his word and recognizing all credit comes to him. The minute we want to steal someone and say, oh, but I made a decision, or oh, but I gave an offering, we're losing that credit. But all credit belongs to him. And what a joy it is to be in his flock. And so we're told, and one from the elders replied to me saying, these who are dressed with white robes, who are they and where do they come from? And I said to him, my Lord, you yourself know. And he said to me, these are those who are coming out of the great affliction. And they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Now, God knows all things. And so, for example, when God comes to Adam and Eve after they fell into sin, he says, basically, oh, Adam, where are you? God knows where Adam's at. God knows what's happened. God asked the question because he's giving Adam a moment to think about what he's done, to think about how God is not his enemy, and to repent. And so the elder here is not God, but when the elder asks John, John probably has a good idea, but he just doesn't probably have the full picture. Otherwise, God wouldn't have given him the, the revelation. And so John could guess, but instead John, with all due respect, says... You yourself know. In other words, please tell me, give me all the details. And, and, and the elder does. He says, these are those who are coming out of the great affliction. 
Now, Jesus tells us if we're going to come after him, we have to take up our cross and follow him. The book of Acts talks about many afflictions. We see it starting with the Sanhedrin. We see it continuing through the Roman government. We see the prophecies of the Antichrist who would come out of that Roman government from Daniel's vision of the four beasts. And that Antichrist would also persecute Christians, but he would appear to be a Christian. Brothers and sisters in Christ, all affliction is covered here. So the great affliction is the affliction that happens pretty much to all New Testament believers. And they come out, we're told, and they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, we already know from our text, salvation belongs to God. And so if we're talking about them washing, it's not they're saving themselves. And this is said as an active verb. Now, it's a middle, so it can be that it's just putting emphasis that they haven't been washed, but it's not passive. So what I think is going on here, and again, it's a vision, so we don't want to read too far into it. God saves you. But if you take a snooze, if you stay away from the word, if you run out and embrace a sin and let it have a place in your heart that God should have, in other words, you become addicted to a sin, shall we say, you'll squeeze the Holy Spirit out of your heart. How do you wash your robes when it's actually the lamb who washes your robes? Because it's your feet that bring you back to hear the word. It's your eyes that read the word. So it's the lamb that saves us and he gets 100% of the credit, but these people... They didn't drive the Holy Spirit out of their hearts. And of course, the picture here is the great tribulation. When it boiled down to it, your life or your faith, they chose their faith in the eternal life God gave them. Now, we don't want to read too much in this because there was times when Christians, when, when being forced to pray to Caesar, for example, as God and deny their faith, some of them did to save their neck and later they repented. That doesn't mean that they couldn't be saved. But ultimately, at whatever time God calls us to heaven, these people did not, had not denied the Lord. They had not driven the Holy Spirit out of their heart. And this is what God works in you. This goes back to that second vision that all the elect will be saved. So, so far we see the Lamb is your eternal shepherd. He purchased and won all sheep into his flock, hence he saved you. All credit for salvation belongs to him so that you will arrive safely in heaven cleansed by his blood. And he does that by continually offering you to come to his means of grace. The word, baptism, the Lord's Supper. He strengthens your faith and your feet actually carry you to come to the word and your eyes actually get to read it. And you actually do the trusting then when God gives you the new man that the blood of the lamb has washed you clean. So then we get into verse 15. For this reason they are in front of the throne of God and they are worshipfully serving him day and night in his temple. And he who keeps on sitting upon the throne will set up his tent upon them. Very interesting. Again, the Greek verb that's used there is worshipfully serving, if you will. Now, in America, we don't like the idea of serving, do we? In fact, our founding fathers wisely set together an economic system, if you will, and a government that would allow, if you're willing to put in the work, the idea is by the sweat of your own brow, they would, the government wouldn't present obstacles to keep you from prospering. And when you prosper, then you're paying other people to serve you. So we don't like the idea of being servants, do we? And we think all eternity worshipfully serving, but brothers and sisters in Christ, it erases everything when we stop and think the shepherd served you by becoming a lamb, allowing the wolves to tear into him so that he could purchase and win you with his life and with his blood. He served you first. Serving somebody who absolutely loves you and has made you perfect is an easy service to do. It's a joyous service. And the way we worship him 
is a service. Next, let me explain to you what I mean. There's a lot of worship wars going on. Should we use the liturgy? Should we scrap the liturgy and, and all this? And I'm, I'm not going to get into great details on that, but oftentimes people on either side, they'll say, but I want, but I prefer. When you're coming to worship, if you're talking about what you want and what you prefer, who are you really worshiping? You're worshiping yourself. Now, certainly in worship, God gives us some. He gives us the forgiveness of sins. He proclaims his word and tells us he's the good shepherd who became the lamb. But the way we worship him and the way we serve us begins by actually listening to his word and trusting and giving him the glory. When we trust that he's our savior, not, not I do my best and God will do the rest, but that God has done 100% of the work, then we're truly worshipfully serving him. When we give him all credit, we're truly worshipfully serving him. And we're told this is going to be a perfect thing. Our sinful nature is going to be removed. So the idea of burdensome service, that's gone. And they do this day and night in his temple, which basically means all the time. And we're told and he who keeps on sitting upon the throne will set his tent up upon them. Now we have the picture of the shepherd setting his tent up. Now, if you're a sheep and you're inside the shepherd's tent, you're protected. The wolves can't get to you. There's that barrier fabric. And, and we think of flimsy fabric. But this is, this is the new heavens and the new earth. And so we're told, no longer will they hunger and no longer will they thirst. Lots of times some of our biggest temptations come to us because our body, let's face it, it needs food. It needs water. It needs shelter. And we can worry about these things when they seem to be slipping between our fingers or when we don't seem to have them. But in all eternity, that, those concerns are going to be gone. And allow me to make my own allegory here for a minute. We often hunger to hear the shepherd's voice and we thirst to hear the word of forgiveness. But when we're before his throne and in his presence, that's removed as well. We're told and the sun will never fall down upon them nor any kind of scorching heat. There is the picture again that this world is not, and the devil and, and, and all of his forces are no longer going to be able to beat down upon us. You go, out, you go out and spend some time in the sunlight, you might not even realize it. and You get a sunburn, it can dehydrate you. But in all eternity, we're not going to have to worry about that ever again because we're in the new heavens and the new earth and we've been given the glorified body and there's no sin. And so verse 17 says, because the lamb who's in the midst of the throne. Now to be in the middle of the throne, what's the throne? It's God's ruling throne. Once again, this vision is saying the lamb is God. The shepherd who's true God became the lamb and has become your shepherd. It says he will shepherd them and will lead them upon water fountains of life. In this world, the water fountains of life are what we call the means of grace. His word, his baptism in the Lord's Supper that we've already covered. But in all eternity, he's going to give us the water fountains of life because he is the life. And we will have eternal life free from that sinful nature. And we're told, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is tremendous comfort. Because if there's no reason to cry, you're at least content. That's worst case scenario. Best case scenario, you're at the opposite of sorrow. You're at joy. There's not going to be death. There's not going to be sin. There's not going to be hardships anymore as we serve our Lord in paradise. And so we will be perfectly happy. So in this last section here, we see that there he will eternally pasture you on the waters of life. It's Good Shepherd Sunday. John has seen all the apostles go due to persecution and he's exiled because of persecution. But he gets to see that glimpse of the New Testament church going on until Christ returns and what's going to look like at the end. And this is comforting for us because we see the lamb is your eternal shepherd. He purchased and won all sheep into his flock. And that specifically means comfort for you because it means you who are his sheep. You're his little lamb and he has saved you. All credit for salvation belongs to him. He did all the work, not you and I. And he purchased and won you and made you his lamb. 
So that you will arrive safely into heaven, cleansed by his blood. You will wear that robe of his righteousness, and there he will eternally pasture you on the waters of life. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.